look, the problem with Musk is he's the nearest thing we've got to a kind of James Bond villain. I'm not saying he is a villain. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Hey folks, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Good to be back again. And uh, Bill Bennett, great to have you uh, joining us. How are you today? I'm good, Paul. Excellent, excellent. Um, I know we did have a few uh, a few technical uh, difficulties with getting kicked off today, but uh, thank you for your uh, perseverance. Uh, log- logging into the streaming platform, we have uh, finally uh, uh, made it. We're live, so uh, so that's good. Um, and of course, um, you know, most people will be listening in through the audio podcast. Um, but just a little, a little bit of a reminder, folks. Um, most Tuesday afternoons um, at around four pm, uh, we are tending to go live. So uh, do feel free to, uh, uh, you know, follow us on the um, the the YouTube's, the LinkedIn's, the uh, Twitter, or the Facebooks, uh, whichever is your preferred uh, uh, place. If you want to catch um, the latest and greatest. Um, uh, you know, ahead of everyone else, because uh, most people will, of course, be catching it uh, at their convenience through the audio podcast. Um, before we before we jump in, um, Bill, maybe you remind listeners where you fit into this big wide world of tech and media in New Zealand. Well, I'm a journalist. I write about business and technology. I've been writing about business and technology now since um, 1981, so that's what 40 years of doing this. Um, and I have a blog. I'm here. I'm there. I'm everywhere. And <laughs> what a look! Yeah. Oh, great, great, great to have you here. Um, and to pull pull you away from uh, your other responsibilities. So thanks, uh, thanks again, Phil. Um, lots going on as always. Um, but first up, a little thank you to our show partners, to uh, Vocus, Vodafone, Spark, HP, and Gorilla Technology. Uh, for uh, for their support of New Zealand uh, Tech Podcast. Now, first up, uh, I was quite keen to delve into uh, what we've been hearing about a um, a startup called AeroTime. And look, this one uh, caught my by attention for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, it involves drones, and of course, you know we've been we've been uh, following. Uh, drone news really since the very beginning of the New Zealand, you know, tech podcast over a decade ago. There's been, uh, you know, more and more um, interest in drones. They've become, um, you know, something very accessible. So, you know, at virtually any price point, you can jump in and and uh, and and get a drone from, you know, kids' drones that are, you know, sub a hundred dollars um, up to pretty much as much as you want to want to spend. And, you know, of course, um, being a, a time of, of war at the moment, we've been hearing a lot about how drones have been being used um, to particular, you know, effect for uh, for Ukraine and, and their defence. Um, obviously, uh, you know, it's not just their side uh, that's been using drones. Russia, Russia have as well. Um, but this whole sort of drone phenomenon, um, it just you know continues to evolve, and this uh, this new in- invention um, from um, Piper Vision, a uh, New Zealand based uh, based based startup um, who have got uh, government support, 
have been working on this uh, project that really aims to um, reduce the impact of um, you know foggy days on our uh, on our flights. And uh, you know if you try to fly in or out of uh, Wellington, uh, probably especially, uh, which has is, is probably had, the, had the, the, the most issues, but really most airports in, in New Zealand are impacted, um, you know, at some time or other, usually during, you know, during the year um, by fog. It's, uh, you know, it, it's a real disruptor. Um, you know, it's expensive when, when flights have to get diverted or cancelled and so on. Um, so, um, yeah, this idea that they could put up a, a drone that um, that uh, impacts, I guess, the um, the the uh, the atmosphere and the air a little bit, and um, and and uh, you know, hopefully minimizes uh, the chance of uh, of flights getting uh, cancelled. So apparently, they've done um, over two hundred uh, tests already uh, in New Zealand. And uh, and Australia, and they use a, a an, an absorbent uh, that they say meets uh, drinking water uh, standards, and is already approved by New Zealand's Environmental Protection Authority. Um, this sounds pretty cool, Bill. What what are your thoughts? Well, it it does. I mean, and the thing is, I was thinking the the thing about clearing the fog from an airport is you've actually got to clear it over a lot of space. I mean, we're talking about you know square kilometres of um, space that you need to get in and out of airports. So it's got to be pretty spectacular to be able to clear that much fog away. I mean, it'd be one thing to clear fog away in your garden or, or, or you know, over an acre or so. But over um, over an entire airfield like Wellington, yeah, it's a lot of space. The other thing that was, I was thinking about was how it's not just um, the area. It's like a cubic space. It's it's three-dimensional that it needs to be covering quite a bit of space too. So I guess that's where the drone part of the uh, the equation comes in. First off, my first thought when I saw that story is I'm amazed that this hasn't been done before by someone else. I mean, we don't have the foggiest airports. You, you want to try London. Um, it, this, you know, New Zealand isn't alone in having foggy airports and it's been a problem forever. And my second thought was, was can't electronics do a lot of the guidance and so on anyway so to make this not necessary? But apparently, this is a much safer and sensible and more straightforward way of solving the problem. Yeah, oh, look, I, I think, yeah, sometimes when, they, when these things come along, you do, yeah, you, you do wonder, but sometimes the problems are a lot more complex than, uh, than, than, than we might uh, might imagine. And when I first heard of it, I'm thinking, oh, what does this do? You know, blow the fog away or something. But uh, well, yeah. that, that, wouldn't, that wouldn't be drones doing if, if that was the solution, right? I was trying to, you know, trying to join up the dots and think, what could this be before I, I, well, you, uh, but, I jumped into it? But the, I have heard stories about helicopters, blowing the fog away from uh, you know at times when it's necessary so um so I, you know it could have been that but no this is this is actually some kind of chemical thing apparently it's a natural chemical as you say it's it's quite a safe natural chemical well that that surprised me too because i like you i thought that's probably probably has something to do with blowing the fog away but no yeah. So, um, yeah, very, very pleasing to hear. Now, another thing on a on a local uh, front, there's been a bit of a uh, little bit of media coverage around, um, you know, technology going into uh, uh, pack houses, and I, I think this is uh, this is a sort of an ongoing involvement. 
uh, really, because the technology just keeps getting better and better in terms of what can be used on our farms, what can be used on on our orchards, uh, whether and the the, um, the the one that was in the media today, and they've you know they've they they must have um, you know put out a little bit of press because it has got picked up uh, or a, a little bit of um, you know an effort's got picked up um, is um, this a Poro two uh, robotic produce packing machine, um, which is um, being used for apples uh, predominantly. Um, but yeah, it was quite interesting. I went went through a, a packing house, uh, you know, a few months ago, and you know, you just see how much reliance there is on uh, on machinery and and on technology. But there are um, also those things that are that are very much uh, reliant on uh, on people uh, of course but we are going through that you know g- continual and 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 you know oftentimes it does seem quite sort of slow and gradual uh, you know change in terms of the things that are that are best suited to people and the things that are best suited to to technology and we see uh, more moving away from from people uh, into the into the the, the technological machinery based um, mechanisms, don't we? Yeah, and the other thing you've got to uh, factor in this is that the cost of employing people for things like packing houses and so on has shot up over the last couple of years. So the financial equations changed a bit. So what may have been a marginal technical solution two or three years ago probably isn't now. When when you know, salaries and wages are higher for people in packing sheds and, and what have you. The the thing that's always bothered me about the idea of, of this is not, I mean, and it, and it, it applies to picking um, produce as well from, from trees and bushes and what have you, is um, it's fine for things like apples, but what about the squishy stuff? Yeah. Um, but at the time that they picked things like kiwi fruit and apples and so on are quite firm. I guess things like peaches and nectarines and so on are quite firm. Certainly things like avocados would be firm at that time. But something like, say, grapes or um, or uh, uh, plums might not be so firm. Um, certainly strawberries wouldn't be firm. So um, so I guess that's that's the the barrier for these things is dealing with fruits that are firm and soft yeah look i think there, there will there'll be an ongoing journey on that front and i have seen some you know robotic technology that's designed to be able to you know um deal with things in a very very gentle uh manner so you know no no doubt over the you know over the years ahead we'll just continue to see that uh you know that transition and of course new zealand's been as of other countries you know massively um you know impacted with um you know new folk not being able to come into the into the country and that that's you know impacted things based based on uh, well, what we you know what we hear is there's this kind of a lack of interest from uh you know current generations to be out fruit picking whereas certainly um yeah my my uh, you know, when I was growing up, I remember you know one of my brothers going off and doing a season fruit picking in uh, um, Roxburgh, I think it was, um, and uh, you know that sort of thing was was reason reasonably common. Um, but it's uh, and I think I I probably even even did some sort of a school holiday type job 
uh, a little bit of fruit picking. I don't know whether I lasted more than a more than a, a, a day day or two, um, but uh, you know, the, 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 there's a there's a change, and um, yeah, well, technology is uh, um, you know ultimately going to be really good at. Uh, at at a, at a broader range of things over time, and um, if we look to uh, to Tesla's new factory, which you know just opened in Berlin, their uh, their new gigafactory there, um, Tesla released a, a video uh, over the over the weekend. Yeah, I saw and, that. Uh, yeah, it was it's really cool seeing this uh, seeing this fly through, um, and I ended up sort of sharing it um, on my LinkedIn over the week over the weekend. Um, because the the other thing that had caught my attention was that uh, Tesla um, seems that they uh, they're able to pump out a model, you know, Tesla Model Y, uh, in about ten hours through their uh, this new uh, factory. And what we're what we're hearing is that the Volkswagen, who uh, you know, also uh, um, in Germany, of course. Uh, the German company uh, that there, I think the the details were for the the ID three, which is in their um, you know main electric vehicles right now, uh, takes about thirty hours. Um, so it's been quite fascinating, sort of following some of some of what's been going on there. And uh, but the fly through video is you know just impressive to sort of see what goes on uh, inside that facility. But you know, noting that a, a traditional automaker that that's making a you know somewhat similar sort of vehicle is taking three times as long uh, to make it is is in part a reflection of the the innovation and the and the technology that Tesla um, you know have uh, have have um, utilized within you know this factory and their other factories. Of course, they use the the, the Giga Press, which I think comes from an an Italian company to uh, uh, you know effectively cast parts of the um, uh, of the vehicle, which automakers didn't do until really until Tesla started doing that. But you know what we've heard from the uh, the, the chair of Volkswagen is that they're looking to head um, you know in a in a direction that in many ways will uh, uh, will emulate um, what Tesla have been have been doing and and a lot more. Uh, robotics and automation, and um, you know, by the looks of it, this uh, uh, casting technology as well. So there's a lot less pieces to put put together. So uh, the, I think there's a there's a big roadmap ahead of us over you know well, 10, 20, 30, however many many years to uh, to move more of these manual things across to to the bots, Bill, to the bots to handle. Well, well, there's there's, a, there's an aspect of this that I'm fascinated by, and it's how is how um, Technical support work for these things for packing shed robots and so on. I mean, do the manufacturers have their own support networks, um, or or is it outsourced to a third party? And you know, wouldn't that be quite a nice job to be in Central Otago, being the guy who goes around fixing up packing shed robots? I think that's it's a bit like um, the modern equivalent of the um, you know the old stories of the vets and so on going around to rural farms. It's, it sounds like a, quite a pleasant way of um, existing if you're a you know tech person with a rural bent, I think that could be quite pleasant. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. And I guess you might get to uh, try out a bit of bit of fruit when it's in season. And then what do you do? Take the off season um, off, or do you yeah. then up to the northern hemisphere and um, um, and 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 do that? Because I guess oh, there, there will be know. something in the other season that needs fixing. Trust yeah. Me. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, um, yeah, interesting. Now, um, other thing that caught my attention in terms of, uh, you know, local, um, you know, lo- locally relevant um, topics was to do with um, new legislation, you know, coming through the data and, and statistics um, bill. And um, this was this was a an opinion um, piece that uh, was published in Stuff from uh, Thomas Beagle, who's the chair of the New Zealand Council of uh, of, of Civil Civil Liberties. Um, and it, really, the question being raised is: is why does um, Aotearoa New Zealand want to replace our Statistics Act? with a new law that greatly extends the power of the government statistician to collect, aggregate and share data, um, all the while reducing oversight and ignoring any possible downsides. Um, look, this is, I think, is quite a fascinating um, you know, yeah. topic, Bill, because there are huge benefits to to having and, and collecting more data, um, but there is also a flip side to the uh, to the whole thing, and and we kind of have to get that balance. Um, you know, we have to get that balance right. So I think you know it's good to see it. Um, you know, getting picked up, getting raised in in um, in the mainstream media, but you know, there really hasn't been a huge amount of discussion. Um, you no. know, ar- around this um, this bill. Have you um, have you had much of a much of a look just yet? Any any thoughts on it? I I just had a brief look at it. I I think there is a I think. I think um, Tom has picked up on the um, the key thing here, which is that there's, on the one hand, you have like an attitude in government of um, we don't really trust these tech things. Um, you know, it's, it's a bit it's a bit unknown to us, and we don't really trust things. And then there's the other side, flip side, where at times they're naive and we, they trust everything. And I think they, I think that anyone in government struggles to get that balance right. There's uh, there are different pressures on them. I mean, there's commercial pressures to, to do things. And there's also uh, pressures coming at them from, well, if you impose too many restrictions, you'll hobble the industry, um, you know, you will, we will fall behind and so on. And, and, and it comes back to something which we've discussed in the past. We've discussed, I mean, you and I discussed this on the podcast in the past, is that you don't really have the right level of tech expertise at the cabinet level. Um, to deal with these questions, and it was it, it was what um, if you think back to Rod Drury calling for us to have a chief technical officer for the country, or, or you know a CIO for New Zealand, or, or some or some sort of person with that kind of role, and I think that's what we need. I think I think we still need to have that kind of voice at the highest level, whether it needs to be the way that the role was was heading when Claire Curran was in the uh, the minister looking after that. Um, or whether it needs to be something slightly different is, you know, is, is up for debate. But what I think worries me about this, and I think it's something that I don't think Thomas mentions this in his in his piece, but it's it's what I was thinking while I was reading that was we just have to have someone with the right level of expertise and understanding of these issues sitting at that cabinet table and saying, well, hang on a minute. Yeah, you know, we need we need to take we need to step back and take another look at this piece of legislation. Or alternatively, at times it's oh no no, don't worry about that. That's fine. You know, that's just not going to be a problem. And and we don't have that. And we really must. Yeah, I think it's it's a really um, 
really important point, Bill, that, yeah, we need that right expertise. The other thing that, that concerns me um, is, well, certainly certainly if we, we look to the uh, countries with a more, you know, authoritarian type of, type of rule, um, is that things can change, also can be changed quite quickly, right? And so, you know, we look at look at the Russia Ukraine situation, and you know, we, we've we've heard you know heard how sort of media are getting shut down, how uh, you know all sorts of social networks are getting blocked. Even you know, I think YouTube's probably um, you know in there as as well. I'm not actually not 100 percent sure on that one, but you know, basically a whole lot of content um, has been has been you know blocked and there are all sorts of just you know little bits and pieces that are going on that um you know from probably from from most kiwi perspectives we would say well this this is unethical um but actually where where is the where is kind of the the sound guidance that we go to that um you know we can all look to and go well that's how a you know that's that's how these things should be should be run um in times of trouble and of course we've just been you know through a period of trouble over the last couple of years and i think it, it stirred up a lot of discussion and i guess to a degree that takes us on to um one of the elements that you suggested we we talk about bill which is um Elon Musk um, <laughs> stepping in and 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 buying up um, around ten percent of the shares of uh, of Twitter after having knocked around the idea of maybe he should set up his own social network, uh, which which um, you know we hear that sort of stuff from 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 time to time um, uh, from the likes of 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 Trump and and others, but um, yeah, there's a you know some people have quite a dissatisfaction on. Um, you know, on the way the, the, these private things work, there's a dissatisfaction with the decisions governments make. Um, I'm not, although I'm not sure actually you could set some best practice guidance because everyone's going to have a different view and it, and it is largely tended by, by you know, political, uh, you know, preferences. So it, it's going to be somewhat impossible, isn't it? Well, yeah, but you can, you can, you can set down some, um, some clear cut rules. I mean, like calling for someone to be killed, for example. You know, that's that that should be beyond the pale, and yet it's not apparently on Twitter. So yeah, there are yeah. there are sort of things like that. The thing about Musk buying Twitter that bothers me, and it bothers me a lot, is he's not a neutral investor getting into it because he thinks that Twitter's going to make him a packet of money. He's an active Twitter user. He's been. Not only has he been on Twitter, he's been very controversial. He's been incontinent at times in his use of Twitter. He's gotten into trouble with regulators over talking about share price of Tesla on Twitter. You know, those kinds of things. I mean, in a sense, Musk is to business and Twitter what Trump was to Twitter and politics in that, you know, he, he kind of weaponizes it for his um, his business purposes. And the idea of having someone who does that own the thing you know, it may be that it may be, for example, and this, and this is like purely, uh, it's not even, it's not even speculation. I'm just, I'm, I'm just pushing it beyond the bounds of common sense. But just say, for example, if he wanted to, it could be possible that you have to read his tweets before you can start reading other people's tweets on Twitter. He could impose that kind of thing on there. There's, I mean, I don't, I don't think that's 
I don't for one moment think he's planning that. But it, it, he—he's not buying it. I mean, although he made a lot of money because when he bought those that share of the business, the price shot up on the. But that was on the news of him buying. So yes, he did make a profit from doing that. But I don't think he's buying Twitter to as a as a money making um, investment. I think he's buying it for other purposes, and that kind of bothers me. Um, you know, it would kind of bother me. It probably kind of bother everyone if someone decided they were going to buy Facebook because they wanted a platform that they could, you know, that they could use. So that aspect of it bothers me. And I hope that there's proper governance in place to make sure that he can't do that. But but um, I've already read that he will get a seat on the board as a result of his um, of his share purchase. Yeah, yeah. With that type of slice, um, yeah. that inevitable, well, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, two percent would buy you a seat on the board as a rule. So, so I, so I, I, I see that. Um, look, the problem with Musk is he's the nearest thing we've got to a kind of James Bond villain. I'm not saying he is a villain, but you know, you know the cliche Jonathan Price villain who's built a satellite network, communications network, which he's going to abuse and so on. Musk is probably the only human on the planet today who's got that kind of ability that kind of um you know poss- possibility and i'm not saying that's what he's going to do i'm just saying that he's in that he's the one person who's in that space um look twitter will change i'm sure of it he's all he's talked about twitter needing to change in the past and i'm sure it will change but it was changing anyway and um you know the thing about social media is they so twitter is probably the one social media platform which has stayed relatively stable for a long time um, the others have kind of moved around a bit in what they do and, and, and so on. So I think there's there's quite a lot coming. What I what I would like to see is I would like to see some some level of independent governance of social media. I, Facebook set up a, a a form of governance which never has never really worked. Their oversight board has never really operated as as it was you know as the idea was initially sold to people. Um, and I think the same goes for Twitter. I think there needs to be some kind of independent oversight, just to just to you know sometimes say, well, come on, guys, you know this is going too far. We've got to stop this. Um, but it's private, and you know, I mean, apart from things like stuff they would do which would break existing laws, um, governments don't have a right to tell them how to do it. You know, it's that's where we are. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it's going to be. I think it's going to be a lot, uh, a lot more on uh, certainly on the on the Twitter and uh, yeah. and the and the Musk uh, topics. I know he did a bit of a poll and you know uh, asking people if they were comfortable with this the the sort of um, you know, uh, balance that uh, that Twitter had from a free speech perspective. I can't remember the exact wording of it, but you know there that that. Um, you know, clearly this stuff has been of, of interest, uh, of interest to him for uh, for some time. And you look, you're going to get different people of different political leanings want to, you know, steer something in in one direction or another. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's. Uh, 
um, probably going to be a necessarily a, a big immediate change, but we we may well see a change. And look, he's got he's got the you know deep enough pockets he can he can own the whole thing if he wants. He's I mean he's 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 heading in the direction, uh, especially with the, the the way that Facebook share price. I mean, you'd probably buy up just about every social network. Uh, well- on the planet, but bar TikTok, which just seems to be going up and up and up, and uh, I saw speculation that uh, TikTok's founder will, uh, and Elon will be the world's first trillionaires. So, well, I was going to say, I, was gonna say I, I was I hadn't looked the last couple of days, but the last time I looked, he was the world's richest man. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, there's there's that. The other thing about Musk is the thing about Musk is that it's really difficult to see what his motivation is because. If you take him at his word at what he says, uh, what he really wants to do is set up a colony on Mars. <laughs> that's that's what he really wants to do, and um, maybe, you know, maybe that is his motivation. Maybe that's what he's really all about. Um, but I don't know. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yep. Yeah. Oh well, we 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 will see how things play out. Um, now, um, the working from home thing is something that. You know, it's been discussed over a long period, and and certainly during uh, during this time of you know of COVID, um, the whole picture has has changed because uh, you know to to a large degree, you know, uh, office type workers um, have been doing their work from from home offices, bedrooms, sofas, and uh, you know any anywhere else where uh, where we can we can find to uh, uh, you know sit down and uh, and work. But we are uh, we are coming through to a time of change. Um, New Zealand workforces are uh, at, you know as they I guess have done sort of on and off over this this last couple of years or so. Um, you know we're set to see offices start filling up. Uh, again, and in fact, if the, the traffic I saw when I headed uh, uh, on the um, State Highway 1 north of Auckland the other day, um, and I was looking at all the traffic trying to get back into get into Auckland for a, the start of a work day, uh, if that's anything to go by, uh, we've, we're already back to some, uh, some you know, pretty full-on uh, traffic, which uh, yeah suggests a, a lot of people back in the office. Um, but the the um, the big tech companies, I think you know we followed with interest. What's you know what's Google doing? What's Apple doing? What's Twitter doing? So um, we heard that uh, Google uh, employees in in the US um, are uh, being advised that they need to get back into the office. Um, this week, uh, three da- three days uh, a week, as um, basically Google, um, they say I've seen it referred to as they are winding down their work from home uh, policy, um, and uh, and so yeah, three da- three days a week in the office, uh, continuing on working remotely for uh, uh, for two days. So you know, quite a quite a transition. Um, quite a transition there. Uh, Apple are, uh, are moving to a similar thing. I think from yep. next week, it's one one day a week. Um, and then um, by uh, 23rd of, of May, uh, at least three days a week. Um, and another a, a pattern that's, uh, that seems to be cropping up is I'm quite often hearing that it's... Um, you know, Tuesdays and Thursdays are uh, 
are um, sometimes sort of specifically designated so whole teams can get together in, in person. And then I've also heard Mondays or Wednesdays in the mix. So, um, yeah, it's just going to be interesting to see the different approaches organisations uh, take. And, um, you know, I think it, it's going to vary according to the type of work, the type of teams. Um, you know, we certainly have have some people that are just, you know, 100% happy not to, not to um, you know, join colleagues in person and work remotely. Uh, and then on the other end, we've, we've got people that just, you know, they want to be in the office. They don't like working from home. And then, then that mix. So I'm kind of curious how, just how... How structured, um, you know, these these things are going to be for these bigger firms. Uh, I think you know smaller firms have um, probably find it a little bit easier uh, to be a bit more flexible to the the desires and and wants of their um, you know the workforce. But uh, I think we life has certainly changed forever in those regards, hasn't it, Bill? Yeah, I, I don't think it, I think in New Zealand what I'm picking up on is it's it's certainly not a one size fits all. I mean, there are firms where um, particularly here in Auckland and in Wellington, where um, where lots of younger people are living in quite crowded rented accommodation, where there's people in that in that position who really just want to get back to the office because it's yeah you know, it's hard to it's hard when there's three or four people working on a kitchen table, um, and and yet older people, people that are you know more senior in uh, in age and would have their own houses, are quite happy to go and work in their home studies and so on so i think there's i, I don't think you're seeing a one-size-fits-all uh, approach with even within a company but where i have what i have been picking up from talking to people and this is not necessarily in my um the tech side of my work but in the business side of my work is i'm getting feedback from companies that i've been talking to about this that um that um what's really gone missing in the last um in the last couple of years, are those kind of accidental conversations which take place at the, you know, at the cafe in the tea room and by the border caller, as they would say in America, where you bump into someone and something happens almost by magic. You just don't have those kinds of accidental, oh, by the way, conversations when you're, um, you know, you're zooming into the office. Um, you know, and you, and you may not even see people from other departments um, if you're communicating that way, whereas you would if you were in the building. And that's and that 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 kind of creative cross pollination, I think, is what's been missing. So whilst people have been able to go and get their heads down and concentrate on things, and perhaps sort of, you know, succeed vertically in the, in their speciality, you're just not getting that that cross fertilization, which. Um, I think has been missing. So I think there's going to be a case of getting back to the office. The other thing I think is, is you're quite right, the traffic has picked up, but it's nothing like what it was even now. And normally March, um, March would be the worst month historically because that's when the unions go back and it's before people have dropped out of courses and so on. So round about now, the traffic was starting, would be starting to ease off a little bit. It peaks in March, uh, certainly from where I live on the North Shore. Um, and if you go into the CBD these days, you'll notice that it's just not as busy as it was even now. And the ca- you know the cafes are not full, uh, places are not full, so there's definitely uh, fewer people. So the thing, the thing I think was rather than I mean you're quite right with what you're saying, but what I think also is is definitely that that idea that you can now work from home at least some of the time is kind of crystallised in the in the 
business area. And I don't think that's going away. I think there there will be some companies where they'll want people in more often and start to push. You're right. That. You're right. Um, uh, but there's going to yeah, be it's definitely definitely changed. Um, but we'll be keen to hear. You know, if anyone wants to share what they're what they're doing, what their organisation's doing, we you know would love to hear a little bit more. Um, around those those changes within different uh, organisations and uh, you know and and the approach uh, to it and I, I guess there's there's an aspect um, which you know may may take us a little bit of time to see uh, you know how how cultures do change and and you know what what the impact is as we experiment uh, you know more. With uh, these these different sort of mixes of uh, of working, because look, we've already had for a few years, we've had you know a mix of startups and, and other businesses that have had global workforces that are you know remote and and you know in some cases not even able to have um, well yeah in a bunch of cases you're not able to have everyone on the same call because that's just how you you are spread around and you know our, our biggest um, you know companies are um, you know have been like that for for a long time because you have operations in a whole mix of countries and time zones so you know <sighs> you just can't cross cross over very easily but calls eh? <laughs> well, yeah yeah well that is one way that those things have been addressed right so um yeah. which isn't isn't necessarily ideal either but yeah certainly regularly talk to people that you know because of the the multinational organization they're in um that hey yeah they've got to spend time at 11 o'clock at night or four o'clock in the morning or what have you yeah. on, on calls so um yeah not not that's not necessarily the perfect uh, perfect solution either. Now, a couple more things I wanted to uh, just jump into quickly before we uh, before we uh, wrap up, Bill. Um, there was um, interesting, a uh, little bit of news from uh, uh, Russia. Um, now, most of us probably heard of uh, Yandex, who uh, sort of um, you know we think of as kind of the the Russian. Um, equivalent, not. I mean, no one's exactly equivalent to a to a to another business, but uh, uh, we think of them as as being, you know, something similar to uh, to Google, uh, big big uh, company, search engine, range of services in Russia, um, and uh, they've had a service, uh, Yandex Food, which you know, of course, we would sort of probably think of as a as an Uber Uber Eats uh, type equivalent. And um, they have have had a, a data uh, leak, which apparently um, the blame was put on the dishonest actions of one of their um, employees, and a, and a whole lot of um, you know data leaked. Um, look, there, there's always you know a whole range of fascinating things you can delve into in terms of what are the lessons uh, from these situations and what should change to to um, avoid them. And certainly, you know, here if if you know they're correct that it was uh, that it was an insider, um, you know, we we do seem to be seeing a little bit more of sort of odd. Uh, odd things happening from um, from insiders, and uh, you know that that to me um, you know highlights another challenge that has to be um, you know has to be dealt with because uh, those things are, are you know much much harder uh, in some ways to address than the you know than the outsider right because they've just got so much more information and you have to have people with access to uh, to a lot of lot of your data for them to be able to do their uh, um, their business so there was that aspect and then the other one 
um, was that, and I'm not very good at these uh, pronunciations, but uh, I'll say the Roskomnadzor, uh, which is the uh, Russian communications regulator, um, have threatened to fine the company up to 100,000 rubles, uh, which sounds really painful until you see that converted into New Zealand yeah. dollars and it's less than a couple of grand uh, yeah. in terms yeah. of New Zealand dollars. So there's there's this sort of, you know, huge challenge that we're, you know, seeing around data yeah. leakage and so on. And then we're seeing, well, what's the legislation to back it up? Well, in well, well a couple well, of grand. I haven't told people what the data was they leaked. And I know, do, do you know what it was? Uh, I think there there was um, well was, as well as the sort of names and addresses there was some some um, some other interesting data. Wasn't yeah. there? Uh, well, what it was they 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 basically they they told us what it is that the Russian the FSB the Russian Secret Service what they eat when they're working late <laughs> and, um, and uh, also um, you know you've got that. that the, the metadata tells you when they're working late and what times they're working and what hours they're working, of course. And um, it turns out that there was a lot of them, they were working a lot of hours in the run-up to the invasion of Ukraine, which is, yeah, but the, but the fact that they were, that was all fueled by pizzas and burgers, um, you know, was kind of, kind of revealing in a way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing I saw come out over the weekend was, uh, I think it was a blogger in uh, Belarus who um, who shared some uh, footage that had been streaming from a, um, um, I'm not sure it was quite a post office, but it, it was either a post office or, or a courier type office where you could... Yeah. You know, you could bring bring yeah. bring stuff, and um, they just had a live stream, so you could see what was going on in there all the time. Um, yeah. The problem was with them live streaming this for um, um, for certain people, as they were coming on in their Russian uniform. You could tell exactly what um, you know, squadron, division, whatever you call it, that they were. You know, they were they were from, um, and they appeared to be bringing in, you know, valuable looted goods. Yeah. Uh, that they take from Ukraine and trying to send back to their uh, uh, back to their their families. So you know maybe maybe this is one of the one of the good sides of a of a bit of uh, a bit of transparency that uh, you know this stuff has 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 come out. There's a, 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 another angle to that is that um, apparently Yandex is has a lot of um, American venture capital involved. So. Um, I think whilst it is Russia's, as you say, equivalent of Google, um, I'm not sure how much of it is actually owned by Russian interests. And that presents a whole set of problems. It, it's, if you like, now that there's a war on it, it's, it's almost like the reverse of the problem that Huawei faced in the West um, you know, um, in recent years, where there was a worrying about, you know, a worry that a Chinese company had um, was... Um, you know, vital to telecommunications networks and so on. Well, we're, here we have a um, a Russian company, with, but, but but with a lot of foreign venture capital investment, which is effectively Russia's Google, but it's not owned by Russian interests or not entirely owned by Russian interests. Um, I bet you that problem or, or that issue um, comes up in a much bigger way when things quieten down in, in Russia and Ukraine. <laughs> 
yeah, delving into the ownership of some of these firms and yeah, how much we should we should you know trust them in the West and um, yeah, do they do they are they doing the right things? Um, that that certainly gets uh, gets pretty complicated. Um, one last thing, Bill, I wanted to mention. Um, Collectors, collectors seem to be being, um, you know, seem to be the natural. Um, what's the word? Um, uh, the natural buyer for any NFTs, um, and uh, so you know, we, we've really seen it. It seems to be about you know all sorts of collectibles, um, but it was fascinating to see a headline um, showing that the uh, the UK's Royal Mint. Um, is uh, is working on uh, releasing uh, NFTs this year, and I guess you know when you when you look at the you know the the likes of the Royal Mint, and you know we have some similar things here, um, and, and and you know a lot of countries uh, where basically uh, you know you've got coins and you've got stamps that were collectible from you know from from fairly yeah. uh, you know for a fairly long long period of of time. Um, so I can, I, you know, and they, and they already make, you know, the, and it's the same again in, in New Zealand where the Royal Mint, yes, they, they need to generate, you know, genuine coins and banknotes. Um, but they also generate, they also, you know, yes. um, produce some that are, you know, anniversary editions and all these sorts of things that yeah. you would never buy to, you know, put across the counter because you're actually paying a, a huge premium for this collectible. So it, it makes a lot of sense. It's a very profitable business for the Royal Mint to do that as well. It's, it's um, you know, quite a quite a sizable slab of their um, their profit comes from doing just that and uh, um and so it makes it does make sense for them to move into this into the nft game but i don't know i mean the jury's still out a bit on just where you know i'm sure there'll be people listening that have got that take both sides of the arguments about these things uh, and about everything to do with web3 but um, um, I don't know if a government should be getting involved at this stage. I would prefer, I prefer just a little more caution, just to step away from it a little bit more. If it was my government, but it's not. Yeah, so. I'm, 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 I'm picking, and and I and I could be, I could be wrong. Um, that and the the tweet that came out was uh, from you know, HM Treasury, Her Majesty's Treasury. Um, and uh, yeah, it says the Chancellor uh, Rishi Sunak uh, had asked the Royal Mint to create this NFT. Um, so yeah, you know, I guess that that's it's pretty. Uh, the Treasury is going to be pretty closely aligned uh, to uh, uh, and, uh, and and controlled from a you know a government uh, perspective. But yeah, you've got that aspect that governments they don't want to be seen being uh, being left behind. Uh, if they can uh, generate uh, generate funds that way, then um, yeah, sure they would be interested. And, and look, I think that. You know, it gets kicked around this this um, you know comment that uh, look, ninety nine percent of NFTs are um, you know are not going to be profitable to uh, to buy into. 
Um, but there, there, there will all, you know, well, presumably there will always be uh, NFTs as there are with all sorts of other collections uh, that end up doing very, very well. Now, the 99% figure, of course, is, is like all sort of stats and so on and, uh, you know, largely pulled out of somebody's, sorry, largely pulled out of the air, um, to put it lightly. Um, yeah, I was, I was uh, thinking people saying that. Um, but the other thing is, is that, you know, my take on this is is that we we actually haven't found the killer app for them yet. Yeah, there, there may be something that we will find that 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 suddenly makes it an essential technology that we just have to all embrace. Um, but we're not at that point yet. We're very you know, and these things they take time. You know, they they it could be that it comes and goes. We've seen enough things come and go in the past, um, but for the I, I, I think, quite frankly, I think the British government doing it—it's all about the publicity value. And the, um, you know, and hey, look, guys, we're a cool and trendy government. We know what we're doing in this cool and trendy modern world. I think it's got far more to do with that than any other thing at all. It's, it's purely about branding for the government. Yep, um, and. Uh... Yeah, if they if they come come away having uh, generated some uh, um, some revenue to uh, to do certain things, then I'm sure they'll be pretty pleased with with that result too, right? Yeah, yeah, but I, but I think more to the point um, that someone will get rich on it. <sighs> Yes. Oh well, interesting times here. Well, it's been uh, very good to uh, to catch up and delve into um, some of the the fascinating things going on in uh, in the world of uh, tech this week. Uh, Bill, was there anything else that uh, that you wanted to uh, to to share today? Oh, look, there's if you've got an hour. <laughs> Well, yeah. Thanks, thanks very much for uh, for for joining us. Where do people need to go to uh, to keep up to date with uh, with your your bits and pieces of um, you know writing and, and uh, BillBennett.co.n is actually there is something that's changed on there, and that is I've started doing a weekly newsletter every Friday of what's going on in the telecommunications sector in New Zealand. Um, that's been going now for a few months, and um, it's just it's. Instead of writing like three or four stories a week, I've, I've decided to put them all together in a Friday newsletter where you can see everything in one place, um, and people can sign up for that on the on the website. Um, but uh, there's that um, that's that's going reasonably well, um, and um, you can find me on Twitter, of course. If Elon hasn't chucked me off by now, um, and I'm <laughs> And, um, you know, I appear in various media outlets as well. Um, I'm not sure what, I'm not sure if there's anything appearing this week, but yeah. Excellent. All right. Thanks, Bill. And thanks, everyone, for uh, for, for joining us on uh, New Zealand Tech Podcast uh, again this week. Do feel free to get in touch um, with me. You can reach me through all the usual sort of social channels, um, LinkedIn, and as 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 probably the the one I'm uh, I don't know I I keep up to the easiest for me to keep up to date with, um, but. Uh, you know, also uh, across, um, you know, Twitter and, uh, um, of course, the live streams are across both LinkedIn and, and Twitter um, and YouTube 
and uh, Facebook. So if you do want to be kept in the loop, um, you know, do the old um, um, follow and bell and on uh, on YouTube or whatever is as appropriate. Uh, you know, if you want to catch those those live streams, um, you know, other otherwise, of course, it's uh, it's your usual whatever your favourite podcast uh, app is on your. Uh, on your device so uh yeah thanks everyone and we'll look forward to catching you again uh next week and uh a big uh thank you also to our show partners big thank you to vocus uh vodafone uh spark hp and gorilla technology cheers the new zealand tech podcast brought to you by gorilla technology proactive and strategic it